You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Good-looking start to a Thursday here on what we think, and neither of us, uh, really any of the three of us are experts on this. We think this is the first day of autumn or yesterday was the first day of autumn. Do we know? I felt like it's the... I I think it's today. I think it's the 22nd, yeah. I think it's today. And then we got like two months and then we fall backward on the clock, right? I thought it was sometime in October, late October, early November, something like that. Spring forward, fall back. I think that's right. And then all of, and then it's dark until noon. I know that. And if you um, live in Chicago, it's dark at like 4.30. Yeah. And that's right. And the Colts are hoping it's not going to be too dark on Sunday. We shall see. Or actually, maybe they want the scoreboard to be dark for Kansas City and fears that Patrick Mahomes might light it up. I actually do think the Colts will play well. But, Kevin, yesterday uh, at the Colts press conference, Frank Reich, you think maybe coming from a little bit of a different angle in terms of his approach of, of speaking and delivery, or were you just being Freudian in your interpretation? So let me say what my thought was walking out of the press room, but then let me provide a lot of context behind it. I thought it was the most animated I've seen Frank Reich in a Wednesday presser in quite some time. Now, having said that, if there is someone out there listening to the show, Jake, and thinking to themselves, oh, I'd like to see some video of that. And if you go to Colts.com or you go to the Colts YouTube page and you watch back the press conference and you've never watched a Frank Reich press conference before, you're going to sit there and say, that's animated? That's different? Frank Reich is an extremely subdued individual. Yeah, he's like one aspirin from a coma, right? Extremely subdued. Laid back, whatever you want to call it. You know, very even keel. That's just how he's wired. And I felt like yesterday, and I made sure I, you know, I made sure to talk to some. And I'll, I'll ask that Keith when he joins us nine o'clock. I asked people within the Colts building. I asked media colleagues. I go, "Am I crazy, or did you guys sense something different out of Frank in that presser?" Because that's what I felt. I felt like, and again, this is me putting on a therapist hat, which I don't know. I, I don't feel totally comfortable doing. I thought he talked faster. I thought he talked louder. I thought he used some body language and some gestures that he doesn't typically do. And I sat back, Jake, and thought to myself, I guess that's to be expected. The Colts are facing the four-time defending AFC finalist on Sunday. They're facing Patrick Mahomes. He didn't get asked one single Chiefs Mahomes question yesterday in the press conference. Nearly every single question was about the state of his football team. The current situation, the current issues, the ruts, whatever you want to call it. And so I guess when you're being questioned, you're going to get a little defensive. You're going to sound a little defensive. And I want to be clear, like I said, to start the show, his message was not any different yesterday. He still is a firm believer in their process and what they're doing. His words will not, I think, make a whole lot of Colts fans be like, oh, man, this sounds great. This is different. But I did think his body language was different. And now my question becomes this. He clearly feels a sense of urgency. Whether he wants to admit it or not, he feels it, in my opinion. Does his football team feel it? When they've been at their best under him, it's been the back against the wall. When the bullseye is on them, that's when they struggle. They can't handle success. They can't handle expectation. And, I, you know, people are like, you know, you know, can you play some audio? I don't think the audio does it justice, frankly. I, I think the video does it a little bit more. And I'll reiterate, 
you've got to base it off of the Frank Reich meter. The Frank Reich meter is very scaled back, very subdued. I thought we saw a slight uptick in it yesterday. It, that's interesting because it does feel like it. Now, let me ask you, if you were to look at the urgency of this game, game three, still looking for win number one, if they were 0-2 and, and had lost both of those games by 17 points, but had lost them to Minnesota and Baltimore, and this weekend the opponent was Seattle, would it be as big? Or is it the fact that you lost, well, they didn't lose two games, you tied 1-1-1, that you denied yourself victory in two games against divisional opponents the one of them being the absolute like benchmark line in the sand game from a year ago. And now you have what has undoubtedly been the hottest offensive team in the NFL of the last five years with the most dynamic offensive talent in the NFL coming into your building. How much of that, how much of the magnitude, the microscope, the spotlight and the temperature raising moment of this Sunday is because of the combination of who they played last and the particular player that's coming in. I think that's part of it. I would also say who you played last, Jake, that's two AFC South games. That's two of your six. You're a third of the way through your AFC South schedule and you haven't won a game yet in the division. And you haven't won a division title since 2014. So I think that adds to some of it. It's two of your on paper easier opponents you've played and now it's the home opener and as you mentioned in the first segment ticket prices are through the roof for Sunday and I think it's because who's on the visiting sideline not because of anticipation of this fan base wanting to see this team so I think when you factor all of that in that is where I'm at right now with this And, and frankly you know I think Frank tried to say this yesterday. I'd probably push back a little bit on it. At one point, I think he tried to compare them digging out of a one and five hole in 2018. This to me is so much different. You obviously aren't one and five, but Jake, in that 2018 season, Andrew Luck hadn't played football in a year. Frank Reich was a first time head coach. You totally overhauled the defense. You, know, you went from the Pagano defense of a 3-4 to an Eberflus defense, Eberflus defense of a 4-3. You know, when you're the first six games as an NFL head coach, it's still kind of the honeymoon stage. This is no honeymoon. I mean, you are, in the, right. you are in the thick of it now. And I felt like, again, yesterday, it was an acknowledgement with body language from Frank Reich of the most adversity, the most public criticism. And again, in my opinion, rightfully so, that he's faced in his tenure. So you think he's feeling it? Well, he wants to admit it or not. I mean, yeah. it, it, what's every coach say? You know, uh, there's always pressure in this job. Uh, you know, we, I mean, pre- there's nobody's going to put more pressure on me than than me. You know, I mean, we want to win. You know, this, the, and we're professionals. We know what we need to do. I, I get it. And again, his words, Jake, will continue to frustrate fans because I think fans want to hear a different Frank Reich. I think they do. You aren't going to hear that with his words yesterday, but I did think. From a body language standpoint, and I'm sure the tone of questioning plays into some of that. Like anytime people are asking questions about your process and your operation and your franchise and your football team, 
you're probably just naturally going to react that way. I think all of us have that element in us as human beings. But I thought we saw just a different side of him yesterday. Kevin, I vividly recall 2002, I was driving back from covering an Indiana basketball game. I don't remember who they were playing. And we took, I remember I was with Tom Trial. We took old State Road 37 on the way back because there was ice on 37. Not that there wouldn't be on the old one. Beautiful drive. And the Colts had lost 41 nothing to the Jets. And a year later, they made it to the conference championship. And New England kind of manhandled them. And the year after that, they went back to New England. And New England kind of manhandled them. And the year after that, they were a shoe-in for the Super Bowl, and Mike Vanderjet went wide right. And all of a sudden, it started what was once a percolation became a loud echo throughout the city of Indianapolis. Tony Dungy's too nice a guy. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy, and he's a man of great moral character, and he does a lot of great things. But darn it, I want somebody that's going to yell at these guys. I want somebody that's going to rip into them. I want somebody that's going to tear into them. Tony Dungy can't get it done. Vanderjat goes on television in Canada and says, you know, I, I just don't see it out of Peyton and, and Coach Dungy, you know. And that's then he became the, the idiot kicker. Got liquored up and ran his mouth. And then, of course, they break through and they win, and it changed everything. With, with Frank Reich, you get a little bit of that, right? I saw yesterday Okuda, the Lions, coming out and saying, look, man, we take on the, the – the M.O. of our coach, Dan Campbell. That's our coach. We love it. We love that energy. We love that fire. Now, does that mean Detroit's going to the Super Bowl? Probably not. But but the, gla- the grass is always greener, and people are going to look at stuff like that and go, why can't we get that here? Why can't we get that here? If they start winning, the ends justifies the means. But for right now, the passive nature and the family, quiet, minister scrupulous behavior of frank reich while people i think admire it as an individual it is going to get louder if this team doesn't start winning that he that the reason they're not winning is because they're not held accountable enough dave you're rethinking your uh plans to go to vegas later this year well yeah we were after the way they performed you know i've got a 65th birthday coming at the end of October, and we were thinking about making a trip to Vegas. Happy early birthday. Thank you. And uh, I can't justify spending the money just to go out there and see. I mean, it'd be great to see the stadium, but if I'm going to go out there, I might as well go out there to see a team that I think will be competitive. And um, I don't think these guys are it. And I something you guys were talking about earlier was Frank Wright and his play calling. The one thing Frank has never done he doesn't adapt to the talent he has on the field. Andy Reid's done a great job with that because of he adapted his offense around the people that he has. Frank didn't do that. He did it in Philadelphia when Wentz went down and he had to have Nick Foles. But for whatever reason, how do you don't have Hines and Taylor in the backfield at the same time or in the slot in the backfield? When either one of them can break 30 yards in an open pass, swing pass, I don't know. Yeah, that that part's indefensible. And thank you for the call, Dave. I, again, I can't I, believe – I know Dave, and I can't believe he's turning 65. Really? 55 at most. Now, some people would say if you're you know, feeling down about the Colts, that's why you go to Vegas. 
Totally. I mean, it's not like there's not a lot to do there. There's a lot the of distraction. Game, yeah, there's right? a lot of distraction <laughs> if you want that. Woo! Um, to Dave's point, again, the Heinz thing and the usage of him on Saturday or on Sunday just is indefensible. And the excuse and the reasoning behind why you didn't use him more, to me, makes zero sense. Like, if you're a head coach in the NFL, you have to have contingency plans out the wazoo. And when Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce pop up on the injury report on Wednesday, that has got to start thinking to yourself, and I mean, you knew Pierce was suffering the concussion symptoms on Monday. You have to sit here and say, okay, if they play, here is one game plan. If they don't play, here's the other game plan. And basically, Frank said that they just didn't have an alternative game plan that they felt like they could implement. And that, to me, is just not – that's coaching malpractice. That's not thinking outside of the box and saying, hey, you know, these guys, we just feel like they're going to make it through their respective injuries and they're going to be out there. Naheem Hines is your most experienced skill player on the roster. If there's anybody that can handle a suddenly 24-hour, hey, Naheem, we might need you a little bit more than we thought, you think it'd be him. Right. Really high football IQ guy. Plays multiple positions. They utilize him on punt return and on obviously as a wideout, obviously as a running back as well. Again, as I said earlier, and, I, and I'll point this out in the 8 o'clock hour, I think there's some evidence that the Colts have been pretty good offensively in scoring the football, frankly, under Reich. But what he did on Sunday and how he tried to give his football team the best chance to move the football – without Pittman and Pierce, inexcusable. I'm telling you, Hines is the one. You know, it is interesting, Kevin. Nobody talked more in the offseason about the elevated role that was about to come for Naeem Hines than Frank Reich, right? And that's why it's even more confusing to me. You know? This was not you and I from 7 to 10 a.m. every morning. This was literally Frank Reich walking into a spring press conference and saying, you know what, I was just talking to one of our staff members, and I kind of was joking with them, uh, but I'm serious in saying, uh, if I had one of those fantasy football teams, I'd draft, Frank Reich, or I, I'd draft Naheem Hines. And they, I mean, they grouped Hines in with Taylor and Pittman as a playmaker. Now, that to me is a bit lofty, but they were doing that. Is it? I mean, Taylor led the league in rushing by 500 yards, and Pittman... To me, he's a perennial thousand-yard wideout. I, I don't know if Hines is there, but considering comparing him to the rest of the skill group, hell, he might as now, well be. Last thing before uh, we move along off of this, at least for now, in terms of practice yesterday, guys that are starting to mend back in the right direction health-wise, and guys that are now all of a sudden a concern for Sunday. Yeah, let's start with the good news: Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, again, both practiced yesterday. Um, late in the week last week, they did not practice. We'll see if they're out there tomorrow or today uh, because that's when they hit kind of a snag last week in their recovery uh, but I think good early news on both of those fronts the only Colt that did not practice yesterday was Bernard Ryman so if you're looking for a switch at left tackle I guess maybe it could come from Dennis Kelly but I think it'll be Matt Pryor starting at left tackle Mark do we know if eventually or not Bernard Ryman has predicted his return not yet. I'm sure he'll be back, though. I know you want that sound. I don't have it. Did we get his hair color? <laughs> I, I I think he looks blonde. I don't know where the where I think he looks like Lesnar came from. I think he like he looks like what Lesnar. Brock Lesnar. He's he's a little bit ginger. Is he kind of a strawberry blondish type color? Am I wrong? He's not I full ginger. He's not carrot top ginger. He's more strawberry blonde, I guess. Boy, right. Boy. 
Okay. <laughs> That's a ginger talk. I did, I, I, I'm not sure, but I knew one thing. I'm Bernard Ryman, and I'll be back. <laughs> See? Honestly, right now, if you're the Colts and you just hear that clip, that to me would be enough to say, all right, Matt Pryor, you're heading to the That's bench. Right. Bernard right. Ryman's in the starting lineup. Pryor, right. do your best Schwarzenegger now. <laughs> That's right. You're out. Impossible for me to hear this song and not think of what event Mark Dykton in pop culture? Like David Letterman's last show. Correct. This closed David Letterman's last show. With a he and I have something in common. Fa- favorite song. What's that? I said he, David, David gotcha. Letterman, and I have. I thought you said it is a good song for oh, sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, nine o'clock hour here in Indianapolis. It's nine o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. This is Kevin and Query. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear, Mark Dykton, whose voice you just heard on 93.5107.5. The fan joining us now on the Payless Liquors guest line, which I think that he willingly does each week, although at times probably reluctantly, is Zach Kiefer, the noted writer from The Athletic, to discuss the Colts. Zach, oftentimes when we have you on, I will bring to you kind of the theme of the show that day and then get your opinion on it. I'll do it again here. I had said earlier today... I do think the Colts will play well on Sunday against the Chiefs, but with everything at stake considering where things have started and how big this game is based on just the overall cachet of the opponent, if they don't show up on Sunday, and I'm not saying they have to win, but if they come out flat on Sunday and sleepwalk sleepwalk their way through, then my thought is if they don't do it on Sunday for Frank Reich, it's never going to happen then he has lost the team. That's what it means to me, that he has lost the team and that there's no coming back. Am I being too critical? No, I don't think you are. I think Jacksonville was that bad. It was that bad. And I think if they do that on Sunday in front of their home crowd, and remember, the home opener is very important to Jim Irsay. It's very important to Jim Irsay and how his team plays. And I think a lot of him and a lot of people around here thought, hey, we're going to be 2-0, and rolling into the week three home opener against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. If they come out and play like they did against Jacksonville on Sunday, and I was talking to Julian Blackman yesterday, and he said, look, if, we, if we're not ready, they're going to put up 50 on us. And he's right. They will get booed off their home field. And I, I think you're right, Jake. That, you know, that's, that's the telltale sign with the coach. Is, are these guys still playing for this guy? I think they're going to play well. I think they're going to play hard. I'm not predicting a win, but that's the problem. If it turns into they're not even playing, that's when you know this has shifted into something completely different. Zach, um, you were a man on a mission in the locker room yesterday, and I want to get into your latest article up on The Athletic here in just a second, but I want to begin with Frank Reich's press conference. I didn't get a chance to talk with you about this yesterday. I was talking to some of our other colleagues and even a few people within the Colts. I thought the words that Frank Reich said in yesterday's press conference were pretty similar. Not, you know, he didn't sound like Jim Mora by any means um, in changing his words. But I did think his body language and demeanor was a little un-Frank Reich-like. And for anyone that will will watch the press conference, you are not going to be blown away by it. But for Frank Reich's typically subdued nature, I felt like I listened to a guy that was talking a little louder a little quicker, a few more gestures, and maybe I'm being too therapist with it, but I just felt like his body language was a little bit different than he normally is, which is very subdued, particularly at those Wednesday pressers. I wrote that it was as impassioned as he's been, and, and that's 
you know, that's maybe a stretch considering, like, he's not yelling into the microphone like you see with some coaches, and, and that's never going to be Frank's style. But he was as impassioned as he's been in several years. Yeah, same. I felt like he was defending his coaching approach, his coaching style, and his, his technique as a coach because all of that's come into question. All of that has been challenged in the last several weeks with the way they've played and the deficits they've been behind and the decisions they made and the play calls he made. And going back to Jake's original point, whether these guys are playing right now. But, um, yeah, my takeaway was they're feeling the heat. They're feeling the heat a little bit, and maybe they should. And then your latest, um, you did go around the locker room. You talked to a ton of guys, just the general vibe you got um, from whether it was Julian Blackman to Quentin Nelson to uh, whoever else you are able to talk talk with. Yeah, I basically threw out this question. What the hell is wrong? And some guys didn't love the question, but, you know, part of their job is to answer it. And two things really jumped out to me beyond just, like, the normal football effort BS, right? Like, the, let's move on from the cliches. One, the offensive line has been trash. This, this team's going nowhere until that unit starts to play well. I asked Quentin Nelson, and he said, look, it's on us. We're not doing our job. Kelly hasn't been good. Nelson hasn't been good. Pryor's a liability at left tackle. I'm not telling the listeners anything they don't know. Danny Pinter's not playing well either. Braden Smith, I could just go on and on. But you have a 37-year-old quarterback who's not supposed to be able to move in the pocket. And this is removing the wide receiver problem, which I could go on for 10 minutes. But nothing this unit does. I mean, like JT, like he's he's a forgotten man if if the line doesn't block. So, I think everybody knows that nothing's going to happen on offense until the line starts to play like it should. And then moving to the defense, and this was a little surprising because I thought the defense had a good camp. Like, I re- they really shut down the offense a lot of days. Like, that's what I saw in camp. There is a disconnect on this defense right now. They are not on the same page. They are not comfortable yet in Gus Bradley's scheme. And anybody out there watching the tape can see it. Like Julian Blackman said, on every play – 10 or 11, 10 of us are doing the right thing, but there's always one guy doing the wrong thing. It's not always the same guy, but you know, they're not winning up front with the front four and you got to do that. And they're, they're just missing their gaps in the back end. They're just, they're just not comfortable in this scheme yet. And, and that's a problem because of the quarterback that's coming in on Sunday. Zach answered this question uh, in multiple choice form. This year's Andre Johnson to the Colts is A, Yannick Ngakwe, B, Matt Ryan, C, neither. So far, it's A. Have you seen anything from Ngakwe? Yeah, I mean, it's been and, – and, and... I mean, it's two weeks. You've done this a long time, Jake. It's two weeks. We might be laughing at ourselves in a month, but that dude was – I mean, I, I don't want to break it down into this term, but, like, he's a mercenary. He was hired to come in here to do one thing, to go get the quarterback not doing it this defense isn't good enough to overcome a non-existent pass rush and 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 ryan was terrible on sunday too you know it's funny to me zach because and i'm going to pick on chris ballard i i I promise you this is not like some sort of uh you know i'm not trying to just constantly bag on the guy but when when the wide receiver or the the you know offensive options question came up to Chris Ballard so much it was almost like he would always divert it back to yeah but we got to get pass rush I got to get in the trenches I got to get pass rush so if you don't have any receivers out there if you got weekend at Bernie's playing three guys alongside Michael Pittman 
that's fine so long as the ends justified the means and you go, yeah, but you know what? We got the two best lines on both sides of the ball in the NFL that we're watching here. Yeah. But that's not the case, right? So it's like – Don't have it. Right. Where the hell is the pass rush considering they, they went out literally and, and that's all that they seemingly have stockpiled for two years? Am I, am I, like, am I just out of my mind? Just Am I the old guy yelling at clouds here? <laughs> no, you're, you're speaking for a fan base that's frankly fed up. Right. I mean, how many times did I ask the, the wide receiver question in March, in April, in May after the draft, in August? Like, I, there's not a whole lot else I can do. I talked about it with JMV and enough to fill an entire show about the problems at wide receiver. But moving to the trenches, like you said, if you're going to be all about the trenches and, and then be all about the trench and get it right, because you're investing forty two point two million dollars of your salary cap this season. That's the highest chunk of any offensive line in the NFL, and you're getting no return. I mean, they're they're not good. They're beyond. They're below mediocre right now. And the defensive line, outside of Cordy Pay's two sacks, have done nothing. Those two sacks late in Houston. So if you're going to be all about the lines, then be all about the lines. But this speaks to a bigger problem, Jake. When your best players, when your very best players are a left guard, a running back and an off-ball linebacker, that's not the recipe that wins in today's league. And so when you have your best player being an offensive guard, that doesn't impact the game tangibly as much as a quarterback or a receiver. JT, as good as he is, is averaging 1.3 yards before contact. He's the best in the league at what he does. But if there's nowhere to go, it doesn't matter. Like, was JT a factor Sunday? He's the best player on the field and didn't really impact the game, and that's because of the position he plays. And then this is this is nothing nobody doesn't know out there, but they need 53 back on defense in the worst way. They need him schematically. They need his fire. They need his takeaway ability. Like, I thought they would be fine against these two opponents without 53. I was completely wrong. They desperately need him back on the field Sunday. I'm not sold he's out there Sunday, Zach. Yeah, neither am I. We'll, we'll hear what he says today, but – this is kind of weird how, how they talk like he's almost back and he's almost back and he's almost back. I go back and to that Ballard every Friday. I go back to that Ballard comment, Zach, I apologize for interrupting that Ballard comment saying that when he came off the pup list, this is basically the first day of spring for him. You know, I, I thought at the time, okay, is that really what he means? I mean, the first day of spring, well, if that's the case, then he is going to need like four or five weeks of ramp up and here we are this is week four of him back to practice how long can they wait i mean no. i like the pitch count idea they but they I, I don't know they don't away yeah you surprised we haven't heard from ursay yet no he's keeping it close to the vest i mean he's obviously very very frustrated but um you know and, and, and i'll say this it's week two like i was asked earlier in the week that this is a must win and I laughed because it's not like I don't think they're going to win they're playing the Chiefs but also it's this is a team that I've covered that's been one in five and, and made the second round of the playoffs and one in four last year and then we're on the doorstep of the playoffs and then crumbled the one thing I will say and, and my former colleague Stephen Holder mentioned this yesterday it takes a lot to get back from that like it takes a lot to get to 10 wins when you start one and four or one and five and that emotional energy has caught up to them the last couple of years when they've done that. So we'll see. But um, I think going back to the very first question Jake asked, all of this 
is going to be about how they look on Sunday. And every fan out there watching is going to be able to tell whether this team is playing or whether they're just lost and they're just not in this for Frank Reich. I think they're going to play hard. I really think they will. But I don't trust the defense. I don't trust the defense against this quarterback. And it could still get ugly even if they play hard. That's the problem right now. Zach Keeper's our guest. He's on the Payless Liggers guest line. He's with The Athletic. Zach, I've I've always been uncomfortable in situations, and you see this a lot in sports, where somebody gets elevated due to attrition, and so they kind of get taken outside of their role. Or like you see it in television. The main anchor leaves. The weekend anchor fills in for three months. Then they hire right. a new anchor, and they go, okay, well, you're out of here. And it's like, well, don't I go back to being the weekend anchor? That's what I was designed to do in the first place. Well, no, we don't have a spot for you. It, is Bobby Okereke, who – I'm not saying he's not a fine player, but to your point, he is not Shaquille Leonard. And he is filled in, and you can see that things drop off. Once Shaquille Leonard comes back, is does he kind of get wedged into an awkward spot at that point? I think he's the will. He's the will linebacker. Darius is – Shaq's going to come back, and he's going to be the Mike, which is going to be a little bit different, but pretty similar to the last position he played under Flus, where he was the will sort of the off-ball linebacker. They think him being around the ball at the mic will be better. But, you know, I, I I can't think of a single unit on the defense, a single level of the defense that's played well, and not to single Bobby Okereke out. But they just haven't – they just – there's just these unquantifiable things that Shaq does that show up on tape, that don't show up on the stat sheet, that just change the game, that just change the tenor of the game. And, you know, Leonard's even told us that there's certain ball carriers or pass catchers that have told him that they've changed their routes or done something different when they know he's around. And that's the sort of unquantifiable thing. Like a quarterback, when he's throwing at Stephon Gilmore versus when he's throwing at Brandon Faison, is going to think different, right? It's the same thing with Leonard in the middle. And and we'll see. But I think Okereke stays at the will. I think Zaire Franklin's the one that comes off the field. But the interesting thing with the linebackers is how much they've had to play three this season. They've never done this the last four years. They've only played two, you know, a huge chunk of the time because they would get Kenny Moore on as the nickel corner. But they need three to stop the run. They need three, They need three, you know, to slow down the run because they haven't been able to do that as well. So um, there's just, there's just, this defense just isn't right right now. Zach's latest, taking the pulse of the Colts locker room yesterday following that embarrassment Sunday in Jacksonville. Zach, as always, thank you, man. Thanks, guys. Push the pop quiz about 10 minutes out. Adam Teicher, who covers the Chiefs for ESPN.com, is going to join us right here. Uh, Jake, this is from Derek. I'm torn on going to the game. I put my tickets up for sale at a very high price, so if they sell, then my pockets are fat. And then I'd go if they don't sell. I haven't been in two years, so I guess for now I'm going. You know, I feel like there's a decent amount of people that have kind of a similar line of thinking on that front. Again, Adam Teicher from ESPN.com is joining us now. Adam, I don't know how plugged in you are if you've heard from people, but do you expect a decent amount of Chiefs fans in the building? I mean, for the eastern part of the state, this is probably one of the few drivable games that uh, the Chiefs will have outside of obviously going to Arrowhead. Yeah, um, you know, Chiefs fans generally do these days travel pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know anybody personally who's going, but I do know that uh, they had quite a few. Uh, there was a lot of Chiefs fans in Phoenix uh, for the Arizona game a couple weeks ago. So, uh, 
I would expect there'd be a, a, a pretty good showing for the Chiefs in terms of their fans on Sunday. You know, when you look historically speaking, we'll begin, Adam, uh, with Patrick Mahomes and that offense. You know, they have – Gus Bradley has seen them before. But when you look at, at the Chiefs, and I don't see them week to week, so I, I wanted your opinion on this. Do they make many adjustments, or are they at the point kind of like we saw with Peyton Manning's Colts of, look, we know we're good, we know what we do, try and stop us? Or do they schematically alter things based on the opponent week to week? Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll uh, adjust as, uh, you know, or try to adjust, let's put it that way, uh, you know, depending on who they're playing and the strengths and weaknesses and all that. So um, I can't tell you what they've got cooked up for the Colts on Sunday, but um, yeah, they'll, they'll have, uh, you know, at least they'll try to have something ready to go uh, to uh, uh, specifically for Indianapolis. He's Adam Teicher from ESPN.com and he covers the chiefs. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors hotline. Um, what have you seen in the first two games, Adam, about changes offensively without Tyreek Hill? Is it a little bit more of a methodical passing game approach i don't even know if that's the right word to use but um what if any changes have there been yeah not as big play excuse me not uh, not quite as explosive um at least you know small sample size through two games but they haven't been you know that kind of quick strike team um but still very efficient maybe more efficient uh so um, you know, you know, it is again a small sample size, but they've been, um, you know, not not as explosive, but um, you know, still able to to get the ball down the field and, and score some points. So, uh, um, you know, that's uh, you know not a dramatic change right now, maybe, but um, going to be. I'm eager to see how it's this is going to work over the course of a long season. What is Kansas City's weakness? If you are the Colts right now, you are looking at tape of what saying this is the area that we have to exploit. Yeah, um, you know, defensively, they lost one of their better playmakers. Uh, Willie Gay, one of their linebackers, was suspended for four games this week. He was a guy that was all over the field. He was uh, a real problem, a real handful for opponents in the first couple games because of his range. I mean, he he really... uh, 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 covered some ground and was, uh, you know, kind of a, a the, the bigger the, one of the biggest playmakers they had, and now he's gone. So now they're uh, going to Darius Harris, who's been mostly a special teams guy. I think there's probably something to attack there if you're the Colts. So that's one area you're looking at. Uh, they play play a lot of young guys in the secondary. Um, uh, you know, that's another area that maybe you want to look at to see if you can maybe confuse them uh, and, and and get a big play or two that away uh, you know when the uh, Chiefs have the ball you know their, their running game has been it, it, it just not very consistent and you look at the raw numbers and you say well it's not too bad but the last week against the Chargers uh, you know they, they ripped off a 50 yard run and other than that it really wasn't much of a factor so uh, um, you know there's the Chiefs can struggle at times running the ball as well their short yardage uh, game has been uh, on offense has been uh, pretty bad. At least it was against the Chargers last week. I think they were one of five uh, on on third and short. So uh, uh, you know that that's an area they need to get cleaned up, and maybe the Colts can uh, you know take advantage there. So you know there's certainly some things to pick on. Adam Teicher's our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors guest line. He covers the Chiefs for ESPN.com. Adam, sometimes I like to play word association. You know, like we did when you were a kid, and you learn different words and then you have to say the first thing that comes to mind 
I'm curious from your standpoint as somebody who covers the NFL but is not in this market. When I say right now in 2022, the franchise Indianapolis Colts, the two, let's say two, the two teams within the AFC that you think of in that same category in terms of their level of competitiveness and the tier they're on is who? So you, you want me to put the Colts on a level with another team? Correct. From your perspective, like yeah. like for me, Kansas City, I would say, okay, you know, Buffalo, and you know, that's probably it, right? Maybe the Chargers. But for the Colts, you think of them in the same breath as who? Well, I, I, two weeks ago, I would have, you know, obviously, I would have had a different um, uh, answer for you than I do right now, and I'm just wondering whether R- Matt Ryan is washed or whether he's just doing the new quarterback struggles thing and he's going to get this thing figured out. I mean, I, I know just from talking to the Chiefs, they're a little bit wary of this game because they know the Colts are better than the way they played the last two weeks. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be their home opener. They're, they're going to be an angry team. They're expecting a pretty good effort from the Colts. So that's not really an answer to your question. But I, I put them on the second level behind, you know, certainly the Chiefs, uh, Buffalo, um, you know, I'm not even going to throw the Chargers there. I still think the Chargers have a lot going for them. Ooh, um, I agree. I think I think the Chargers are really good. They're, they're talented, but there's some things holding them back. I mean, they're, they're, that coaching staff, I'm not sure, is right for what they want to do there. So we'll see. Maybe I'll get proved wrong. But uh, uh, certainly a lot of talent there, though. And, and, you know, I'll even still throw the Bengals and the Dolphins there. So whatever level that, that second level is in the AFC, you know, with Baltimore – um, you know, um, Cincinnati and Miami, maybe. I'll put the other three on the top level, Chiefs, you know, Chargers, and, and Bills. And then the, I'll, I'll throw the Colts in with uh, the uh, the other three teams maybe on that second level. It's funny, Adam, isn't it? Because the AFC's got a huge middle class. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there's definitely yeah. an upper class, but there's a huge middle class in the cast system of the AFC. Yeah. I'd agree, and and right now it's hard figuring um, um, going through the teams right now. Who, who's bad, right? I mean, I know the Colts have played badly the first two weeks. Um, you know, I guess Houston's down there, but other than that, um, you know, who's really who's the lower class right now? You know, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how this thing sorts itself out. Yeah, it's easily the deepest I've seen the conference in quite some time. Um, Adam, just a couple more here. You know, for Chiefs fans, they probably don't want to remember this game, but Colts fans remember it very well and that would be the 2019 game at Arrowhead Sunday night football uh the Colts carried it 45 times in that game had the ball for more than 15 minutes they beat Kansas City I think it was the fewest points scored at home in the Mahomes era when he started he was a little bit banged up to be fair in that game but what I'm getting at with that is, again, they carried it 45 times. Well, that was without Jonathan Taylor. Marlon Mack was the bell cow back then. Now they've got Jonathan yep. Taylor. Is that part of what strikes a little bit of fear or a little bit of doubt into whether it is Chiefs fans or Chiefs coaches and that, hey, this is a team that at least on paper has got part of the blueprint and that Taylor can play a ball control type game? Yeah, yeah, you know, that that's uh, certainly, um, you know, that does have the Chiefs' attention, but – a lot of differences between now and without a doubt uh, 2019 and and you know the chiefs have not been very good against the run the last several years this team uh, so far has been pretty good um they're allowing less than four yards a carry that's almost a yard uh, less than they allowed last year 
Um, and and you know, part of the deal with the Chiefs and the run defense is they're getting, you know, again, this was before they lost Willie Gay, but they were uh, getting better linebacker in play through the first two games than they had in quite some time. Uh, Their two main linebackers, Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, were really, are really playing well. Now, Gay is out on Sunday, so we'll see whether, again, that's something that the Colts can pick on. The other thing is the Chiefs have a lot more speed on defense now than they've had. They have some guys who can really move, and uh, um, I think that's helping them out on their run defense as well. So, uh, um, But that's not to say the Colts can't have some success there, so we'll see how they uh, how they play it. Last one for me, Adam. Purdue fans will certainly want an update on how George Karloftis has done here in his rookie season. Yeah, he's done a nice job through uh, two games. Um, you know, doesn't have any sacks yet, but he's done a nice job getting some pressure, and uh, um, I, the Chiefs are happy with him. He'll end up, he'll play a lot on Sunday, so, um, you know, he uh, doesn't always start. They have another guy, Mike Dana, they use in there sometimes, but he'll play a lot. So, uh, yeah, definitely, I think the uh, long-term, his future looks pretty good. I think he'll have a, a nice career uh, with the Chiefs. Uh, Adam Teicher, ESPN.com, where you can read his work. Adam, I've always said for people in Indianapolis, if they're looking for uh, a weekend getaway, Kansas City, a lot like here, same kind of people, same kind of restaurants, and uh, a lot of history and heritage and, and great folks there. I love the plaza, love Kansas City, and appreciate your time this morning. Hey, good stuff, guys. Talk to you next time.